Bienvenidos and welcome a Cositas Mami Never Told Me, a podcast that dives deep into the Latin cultural norms that have long haunted the feminine genre. Montate and buckle up porque it's going to be a roller coaster ride. No fuimos. There it is. Okay. Everybody, welcome. Oh my goodness. I am so excited today because we have one of my classmates from back in the day. Hi, guys. Yeah. <laughs> His name is Dr. Noel Cassiano. And um, we used to go, well, he, he's younger than me. I was an upperclassman, but I remember him very, very well. And before we got on this actual recording, I was like, you're an actual like doctor adult now. Like, oh my God. <laughs> How are you, Noel? And y'all know Rocio. Rocio, what's up, baby? Come on, come on, come on. Oh my God, Diana! Oh my God! What? I almost forgot to tell you. I have an additional little oh God. situation for the podcast. I'm so excited. Wait till you hear it. Continue. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> okay, Noel, say hi to the people. <laughs> Oh my God. Thank you for having me on. I am so excited. I've uh, been watching um, the episodes uh, for a while now, even way, way, way back, Diana, when you were on your own doing your really? apples, yes. your apple, uh, you know, Shout out to those of Diana. Listeners. Yes. So um, I'm excited to be with you both and with all your listeners and watchers and all that stuff. That's Awesome. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Like before we go into like the nitty gritty, when all of us went to Heart for High, so this is sort of kind of like a Heart for High reunion, right? But also it's such a small world that he also knows Jessica's sister, uh, Jessica, and her yeah. mom, who is a legend, yeah. and she's legend. watching. And she's a legend. Like, I've always told her. I've always gassed her up. And she was like, pues mija, ya tu sabes. <laughs> Your mom is so dope. When I did my book launch for Just a Kid from Park Street, she came to Hip Stop on Park Street just to say what's up. That's how much I love her. She, is, she uh, is. She is. Shout out to shout out to Ilya Castro, yeah. a legend. The a best. Legend. A legend in home, right. But go ahead. No, sorry. <laughs> well, um, I'm Noel Cassiano. I'm from Hartford, born and raised in Hartford. Um, I, like y'all know, graduated from Hartford High. Uh, but I like to just say I'm just a kid from Park Street. Man, I just love uh, um, where I grew up and the people that I've met in my life. Some have been role models in my life. Some have inspired me and some others I was like, yeah, I don't want to be like you, right? So <laughs> um, the whole spectrum, right? But the fact that, um, um, you know, just, you know, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for the journey that I've had in life um, to where I'm at today. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing story. All right. So we're going to tap into that. What is it that you do? Because I know you're a doctor, right? So there's a whole bunch of different. So today's episode is more about like the taboo of therapy in yes. the Latino community, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So what is it that you do? You know, because I know there's therapists for family. I know there's therapists for like just people that want to go single. There's relationship couples therapy. What is it that you do? What do you specialize in? Well, my master's degree is in marriage and family therapy, right? So I graduated from CCSU, from Central Connecticut State University in their marriage and family therapy program. So 
I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist with the state of Connecticut. But then when I was um, finishing my MFT, um, I really wanted to just dive in a little bit deeper and, and really have a deeper understanding of how this thing up here, the brain, how the brain works. Because um, coming from right a Latino community, I understood that people um, were kind of leery about therapy, especially, you know, they're like, oh, you're not toy loco, you're not so loca, right? And this exactly. whole thing about, I don't want to go to therapy because people think that I'm going to be, that I'm crazy, I'm not crazy. So all that did was just, prolong this these intergenerational effects of trauma right so what i wanted to do is like i want to understand not only how does the brain and the body works um but also to be an educator in my community so that people could understand the true power of therapy um and it's not just about you know we want to get medications in you all the time so i really wanted to understand okay so are medications beneficial in what situations they are beneficial and just be able to help my community understand uh, the differences between um, those two things. So immediately when I finished my MFT in May, in August, I started my doctorate degree in clinical psychology and my focus was on neuroscience. So the neurobiology of how the brain and the body are interconnected. So how we feel up here affects how we feel in our body. And how our body feels also um, affects the way we think and the way we feel emotionally. And they're not two separate things, you know? So we have to understand that we have to treat both aspects, our mind, our body, our emotions. And even for those that are spiritual, even kind of think about those spiritual kind of components of who we are. So that then, because people talk about holistic healing, but there, if you're only dealing with us, what's up here, but not, right. you know, how you feel here and not only um, spiritual components as well, man, we are lost and we don't, then we don't get the progress or we don't get the results that we're looking for. So I went in there. And, no, well, I have to interrupt you, but just in, in more layman's terms, when you say the mind, the body, it, all, all interconnecting, are you also, because I know you're a big runner, so yeah. are you highlighting the importance of taking care of your physical from a literal activeness perspective, how important that is as you're working on the mind and the endorphins and how they all are interconnected, just so that our listeners can understand um, the importance of that connection that you just mentioned. Yeah. So again, from, from that, this kind of basic uh, way of looking at it, right? So our mind has what we call neurotransmitters, right? And those neurotransmitters allow us to feel psychologically well or not well. So we have like dopamine, serotonin, right? right? All those neurotransmitters that are chemicals in our minds, right? Then we have hormones, right? That are- uh, We know about those, honey. You know about those, right? <laughs> Remember when you were 12, 13 years old and the hormones were kind of going Hi. all over the place? No, well, 12, 13? Uh, remember when you were 43 yesterday? <laughs> Hello. That's what I'm about to say. The older you get to, them, them hormones. Them hormones be like, hey, what's up? I'm back. It's crazy. So you have yesterday, to find I'm, I'm, I'm over here like shotgunning. Today, I'm like, it's so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
our neurotransmitters and our hormones have to be in balance. And sometimes they don't work the same way, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes we're okay here and in our bodies, we don't feel. So we have to take care of both aspects. So yes, nutrition, um, physical kind of exercises are important. But not only that, there's this book called The Body Keeps the Score. And it's okay. by Dr. The, it's by Dr. Bezel Vendicote. In that book, he talks about how when we are struggling with like trauma and depression and anxiety, our body holds that energy and it mm. physically begins to break our organs and our and our body down, right? And we could talk a little bit about that more. We but need to make sure we we um highlight and note that. We'll make sure we highlight and note that book for sure. Yeah. And so there are physical consequences when psychologically we don't feel well. And also the other way around, when psychologically we're not feeling well, there are physical consequences. So this neurobiology kind of component was something that I really wanted to understand. And man, when, you know, after five years, uh, right? <laughs> that, do uh, that doctorate is a minute. Ooh, yeah, it's three years of coursework. Then I had to do a year internship at Riverview Hospital in Middletown is a psychiatric hospital for children. And then uh, my dissertation research and, you know, writing and publication, which was the fifth year. But I got it done. But uh, most right. important, most importantly, is when I graduated, I was like, okay, now is what I have to do. Now, when the real work starts, right. to go out and start educating my community and my family about the importance of taking care of your mind, your body, and your spirit. Mm -hmm. I wanted to have you on because that is you're not you're not only preaching it, right? I also follow you and I see what you do. You know, you're out in the community, you're making sure that you're part, not just saying it, right? That you're a part of it. You're running with this running group. You're in church and you have that big community there too. You know what I'm saying? So it must be amazing to just have you as an asset, right? Where people are like leaning over like, yo, I had this problem, what up with my family? <laughs> <laughs> Give me that 1-800 free therapy real quick. Wait, wait, I got your phone number, so the job out there. No, but <laughs> what? so after all these years of, um, you know, when you introduced yourself, I almost stopped you because I was like, you forgot to say doctor. So I'm glad that you said doctor, all right? Because if I ever see you, I'm gonna be like, this is my friend, doctor. Right, because you just said you have to do all that work. Not only that work, but now you're doing the work after. A lot of people say, "Me tengo el doctor," and then they're in the office and chiching, 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 se olvida de la comunidad, right? But yeah. you're doing what you're saying that you're doing, which I appreciate and I thank you for, right? So my next question to you is, what made you want to go into this field? Like, was there? I'm not gonna say was there trauma because I know there was trauma. We all Puerto Rican. There's trauma everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but what was was there something that stuck out? Was it something that you saw? Was it your environment? What was it that made you be like therapy? Yeah. Man, so again, it's a long story, and I know we don't have that much time, but a lot of it was personal, right? Like you said, um, we all have our stuff that we, uh, for some reason or another, maybe didn't feel comfortable, maybe wasn't even aware that was there. Um, and a lot of it was, okay, uh, I have to figure out me first, right? Mm -hmm. It's almost like that, you know, that analogy of when you're on the plane, right? You got to put on your mask so that you can yeah. help yourself before you help somebody else. So I was like, 
¿Cómo yo voy a ayudar? How am I going to help somebody else out if I don't have my stuff together, right? So all but, the stuff. But uh, Noel, again, I want to, and you may not have an answer for this because I feel like that's such a pivotal moment. I think that a lot of people are stuck there. You know what I'm saying? Like a lot of people are stuck where we go into autopilot, where we help, 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 help everyone else. And we, we don't realize that sometimes we're pouring from empty vessels. And like, if you can, or maybe not your personal experience, or, you know, what is it that it's, it's like, is it a repetitive thing? Is it something that comes to mind? Is it, what was that moment for you where you were like, fuck, you know, like, I, I want to do this. I see myself doing this, but I need to really deal with my traumas or, or what uh, has been haunting me or in, in good or bad ways. Cause again, the conversations I've had and, and Diana can probably echo this is people are, are, it's like, I know I need the help, but I have, I have so many other things I have to do. Like I have, my life is crazy. I have kids. I have this, I have that. And it's like, I, I'm so thankful that for me, it's been several years now, but we're a huge therapy family. Um, I've always tapped into, I need to be a, the best me I can be to show up, you know, but yeah. How, how, what is that moment or, or how is it that you can, I, you, when, when do you identify that light? So that light for me came, you know, crashing in, right? So again, as a kid, I saw my brother die in front of me when I was six years old on Park Street, right? Very traumatic. Mm. Mm. Dad at that moment was not a very healthy person, right? He was violent. I grew up in, you know, hiding from him in domestic violence shelters with my mom and my siblings. Wow. You know, just, just dealing, you know, witnessing him being very violent towards my mom, you know, at home picking her up and doing all kinds of, you know, violent, assaultive behaviors, um, all of that in my childhood, right? So, and I'm just stuffing, 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 right? Not really, you know, because again, what really happens is, there's these powerful things that doesn't allow us to really dig in and dig deep and start to deal with our stuff. Those things are called shame and guilt. Woo! Right? Yes. Shame and guilt. So I had a lot of shame growing up because mm. of what I've been through. And I didn't want nobody to know, number one, what I was going through or what was going on in my house. So I had a lot of shame. So a lot of that stuff was packed into, you know, living with secrets that a lot of our familias have, right? So because of shame, because of secrets, and then this powerful uh, thing called guilt that doesn't allow us to be honest and open or even courageous to dig and be able to say, hey, I need to deal with these, th- with these things. Mm-hmm. So long story short, right, growing up like that, my childhood, my adolescent years. Um, now I'm in graduate school and I'm writing this paper, right? Um, um, on, on my developmental stages, my personal developmental stages. And when I get to the part where I'm writing the paper about how my, I witnessed all the trauma with my, with my uh, brother passing away and all that, I, I couldn't even breathe. I became wow. so emotional. And I remember, right, I was upstairs in my room, in my bedroom, you know, typing and my wife was downstairs watching TV. I don't know what happened, but the next thing I know, I was, I couldn't breathe. I got up, I was trying to gather myself and I stumbled down the stairs 
and my and fell into the living room where my wife was, and she was like, "Get that boss on me, and I, that's when I knew I got to do something with all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So, but when I really think about it, that was a panic attack. A hundred percent. Right, it was a panic attack. Because now you're showing it I, to you everybody. Know, was, you're you know, writing it blacking down. out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't breathe. Uh, my heart was racing, blood pressure went up. And when your blood pressure goes up, you can't breathe and the anxiety is overwhelming, you collapse. Right? But That's what's fine. crazy to me is that this moment happened to you when you were already in your collegiate space, when you were already thinking, this is what I want to do, you know? So it was almost like imposter syndrome meets, fuck, I haven't really dealt with this, like, yeah. you know, which that's, that's an amazing yeah, awakening. Now, now it, it, it was going to be red. Now people were going to see it. And at that level, right, that could be published. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So in the back of the mind, you're like, oh, crap. My secret. <laughs> my secret, my guilt, my shame is going to yes. be, which is amazing to me, right? Because, and I learned it early because I had, I too, anxiety was off the chain. And everybody's like, pero a ti no te pasa nada. ¿Qué te pasa? Mm-hmm. Calmate. I can't breathe, bruh. I physically need to go to the hospital because I think my heart's going to stop. Like if you see my records, like I went to the hospital so many times, 18 to 21, it was out of control. I went to my doctor so many times. My mom was like, Ah, anxiety B, you had it. You didn't talk to me about it. You still have it. You still have it. You still have it. Right now you have it. Not, yeah, let's not talk about that you don't that, that you think you didn't go through menopause. That's something totally different. <laughs> but anyways, right? So I, I'm glad that I was able to not go through it, but I did have to go through it and get knocked down in order to figure out what medications I needed, what therapy I needed. So then I started seeing it in other people, and I'm like, yo, that might be a panic attack. Yo, that might be anxiety. Yes. And people are like, yo, what what are you talking about? I was like, well, this is what happens to me when I feel this. And then, yeah. you know, so that you can share it, so that mm-hmm. you can open. I, I say all this to say that. And that's why uh, Rocio and I are so transparent on here. And we wanted to have Good. you on. So like that, it's like, yo, tell the people it's 100%. okay to be transparent. And guess yeah. what? There's a Latino out there. And actually, if you're black or white, you could go to Dr. Noel. Shit. Yeah, guess what? Of he probably has more trauma <laughs> than you. That's a ball. I'm sorry. <laughs> but wait, I just wanted to get a little bit into some of these st- st- statistics, right? Oh, I think uh, it's important to share yeah, that. Yeah. Because there are over 193, 994 mental health therapists currently employed in the United States, right? That are, you know, licensed, right? The average age is 44 years old. The most common ethnic mental health therapist in the United States is white at 74.2%. Okay, followed by Asian, 10.6%, Black or African American, 7.9%, Hispanic or Latino at 63 and then the unknowns. I want to know who the unknowns are, because I bet you there's some <laughs> Latinos in there too. I swear, yeah. because when we used to do the, okay, sidebar, super crazy sidebar. When we used to do an ESL, like when I used to work at an ESL uh, program, a lot of the people that were Latino from South America did not identify as Latino. They would no. put other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, but you from Argentina, <laughs> but you from Venezuela. We're yeah. talking in Spanish. You're coming here to learn English. Excuse me. I'm confused. Right. <laughs> but um, what did, what did you find as you were going through like the schooling and the education? Were you like the only one in most classes? Like for real, and did you I feel was like, you was like, yo, I got to do this because there's nobody like me. I see no one like me here. 
I see no one like me in the class as a student. And guess what? I was the first Latino male professor at CCSU in the council. That's right. So it's like, I was kind of the only student, Latino student. (laughs) (laughs) So we still got a long ways to go because I'm like the only Latino psychologist uh, professor at the University of Hartford is like, I look around and I'm like, where are my people yep. at, right? But no, so not we there. We gotta do better. We gotta do better. But in it's so true. many fields, in 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 my field too, I've always said that it's like I, I do a lot of brand building, negotiation, and like, uh, and it's like I look around and I'm always dealing with white men, always. Yeah. But that, always. that's the thing, right? Until we get as a people, as a community, as a as a race, whatever, until we start dealing with and and knowing that this is something that we need to do, people are not going to be like, oh, I want to be a therapist, right? Because if they keep hearing, I know it's a gente loca. Do you want to deal with crazy people? Probably not, right? right? Yeah. So if right. you're hearing that, you're not going to want to go into a field to help people that are supposedly crazy, right? Yeah. So three myths I wanted to throw at you and then you you tell me, right? So three right. myths that the Latino community talk about, you know, sign of weaknesses and being labeled crazy. You said that like four times. <laughs> denial of trauma or wearing trauma as a badge of pride because god forbid if you ain't have no trauma you ain't grow up in the hood if you see somebody get shot Funny. <laughs> or if you didn't almost get shot yourself or get stabbed yeah. or or sm- like it's crazy to me that i know what what like a pool of blood smells like smells that, like that's still lit like Whenever and then it, it, to, to to feel that it was normal, like I saw it so many times that yeah. I, I stepped over it. Like, okay, I gotta. We went to the West Indian Club, not the West Indian Club. Uh, it was on. It was in the north, and I forgot the name, but it was a, a Caribbean type club, and there was a massive crazy fight in the middle of the lobby. It stabby, 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 and the and the and the the party went on, and we just stepped over the pool of blood. Everybody was and I and I'm thinking about it now, and I was like, nobody wanted to go home. We were, it was so normal that everybody stepped over the pool of blood to go in the party. No but those are those it. are those are things that, based on your surroundings, you normalize. But those are traumas. Those are yeah. normalized traumas that it's like. That's Those are not what okay. we call vicarious or secondary trauma effects, right? That, that we mm-hmm. become desensitized. Mm-hmm. And when we see somebody get hurt or when we see somebody get injured or even die in front of us, we're like, eh, all right, let's keep rocking, right? But those things are traumatic experiences that do have effect on you. Mm-hmm. And the third one, just to get through the three, mental health can be cured with home remedies. Hispanics often seek natural man- remedies as as spirituality or santeria but to get back to what you're talking about right as as it being like now people do this yeah yeah <laughs> capturing you know what? The, capturing the trauma instead of helping the person that's going through it like you know what really did it for me um i was in atlanta this is how trauma works because you remember where you're at right like 9 11 you know what you were everything doing, right? yes i remember i was in atlanta at a conference and i was in my hotel room and i turned on my phone and there is this video of Junior. Remember Junior from New York? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I lived and in New York at the time. It was luto for months. It was like I, I, I cried like I knew that you little know, the boy. The eyes, the eyes. The last picture of his eyes. when He just he looks, he looks like all of our little boys. Yeah. I get chills. Yeah. But yeah. continue. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, but then I'm like, first of all, I was so disturbed by it, right? And then when, you know, at the end, you know, when he's over there, like almost near the hospital, he stumbled, like he's getting, he's trying to get there and he's by this fence and everybody's recording his last moments. And I'm like, somebody pick that boy up and bring him into the ER. Like, why are we recording this and why are we not helping? Um, and that that's, again, when we live in an urban kind of traumatic state, um, we take out our phones and we record things rather than stepping in and trying to help. Um, do you do you think that that comes um, do you because you said the word urban. Do you think that comes from a hidden or innate fear of if I help, I'm, something's going to happen to me? Yeah. You know, that whole snitches get stitches kind of street mentality, yeah. which is is really sad because we got a lot of young, I won't just say young men, but young people out here in the streets trying to show that there's somebody to a bunch of nobodies, right? So 100%. You know, it's like, man, think about your future, you know, think about what you want to do, how you can, you know, develop yourself and have a family that you can be proud of rather than trying to prove something out here that ain't even worth it. You know, mm -hmm. that's what I, I used to tell, especially like growing up, people that were, you know, uh, very successful in the drug game or whatever. I'm like, imagine if you could apply that mm. in the business mm. world. Like you're yep. out here calculating how many they're real businessmen. They're it. real like, businessmen. That's so a crazy. real business. You're going back and forth. You're bartering. You're um you're hiring people. Like you know what I'm saying? Like these are all skills. These are all like why not? And then it used to irk me. And I used to get into arguments with people. They used to be like, Diana, shut up. Oh, you, you always think you're better than everybody. I'm not gonna work for the white man. I was like, well, in essence, you are because you're gonna go to court and you're gonna pay a white lawyer that's gonna probably pay the court system to yep. to bail you <laughs> out, which is probably gonna be a white bill bondsman. Like, what are you talking about? You know what I'm saying? So, anyways, I don't even know how the heck we got there. But <laughs> what um have you? What are some of your role models like? Like growing up, like I, I want to get a sense of you know because I got to tell you like all the stuff that you said. Like, I didn't know that you went through that. Like, you look like a normal, right? But we all, because <laughs> if you heard, if you've been hearing, my father, he's a fucking smoke weed. So I'm, maybe I'm a little kooky because <laughs> I got that secondhand situation going. No, but what, who, who were some of your role models? And I know you, you talked about Ilya, but like, maybe, I love your shirt, by the way. Look at that. I need that. Do you have That's some? That's the cover of his book. That's I the cover that. of his book. I know, but I, yeah. I you selling my mom has that shirt. My mom has that shirt. I ain't for Parshi, but I'll wear it. I'm from the north. <laughs> <laughs> I should put shirts like I'm from the north. No, but what, who were some of your role models? Because I know that for me, like later in life, Maria Sanchez was. Ooh, right. Yes. In Hartford, right? She yes. used to sell penny candies, and that's how I saw her as a little girl. But then once growing up, just the information and the resource and make sure you finish school and make sure you do this and make sure you speak to this person in, in Quirk Middle. Oh, where are you going to Harford High? Make sure you speak to this person. Like she was such a big impact in my life and I didn't know it until I was an adult. So I don't know if you got community people or maybe some, you know, a celebrity like Hector Lavo or something. That's another person I looked up to even though he was drugged out. But yeah, <laughs> some of you... <laughs> <laughs> we got to help you get some sober mentors, man. What do you think? <laughs> Maria Sanchez was sober. 
<laughs> I think. <laughs> Let me not spread any rumors. He's frozen. Okay, he's back. Go. go. <laughs> Was I frozen? Or, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, mentors for me. Um, well, growing up, my first mentor in my life was was my grandfather. Right, my grandfather Don Pablo um, was everything to me. Um, again, I didn't have healthy male role models in my life, so he was like my you know role model um, as a young uh, child, adolescent. I saw him working hard. He was like um, you know the rock of the family. You know, remember going over on Sundays, he's the one cooking. He's the one making sure that everybody's, you know, doing okay. Um, he was tough. He was firm, right? But yet he was, he had this lovable, playful side to him that I really appreciated. So to, to me, he was like my childhood kind of hero. The, the book that I wrote, The Fatherhood Crisis, you know, which talks about um, of the impacts of growing up without a father in your life. Um, I dedicated it to him because he was my my father, uh, you know, kind of my role model or the father figure um, in my life. But from there, you know, I had so many. So, again, you know, Maria Sanchez was one. Um, but also um, I remember that, you know, this name, Mr. Cruz from Heart for High. Oh, Come my on. God. Ah, uh, no. Continue. <laughs> I'm dating myself, huh? That's no, no, Mr. Cruz no. was there when I was there too. Mr. Oh, okay, okay. Mr. I just Cruz want to make sure. The one that held onto a bumper car, remember? What? A bumper car and got the game that we had at Hartford High, and he was trying to break up a fight, holding onto cars and doing all kinds. Always of trying to break up a fight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was but Mr. Cruz again, he believed in me when I didn't even believe in myself. Right? I'm Romans the halls at Hartford High. I really was struggling because of all the stuff that as a kid that a lot of people didn't know I was struggling with. I couldn't really focus on school when, you know, I'm thinking about, am I, is my mom going to be alive when I get home? You know, Shit. am I going to make it home? Um, you know, so stuff like that. Um, so how can you be present in class and learn from our awesome teachers? Cause we had some awesome teachers. It's yeah. just, you know, I was dealing with my own stuff. So Mr. Cruz, again, believed in me, you know, you know, and just like he asked me, what do I want to do? I said, I want to go to college, but I didn't have the grades. I was really, really um, kind of struggling academically. And he said, you know, we, we set up this kind of one on one relationship um, where, you know, I would check in with him every single day, you know, just to make sure that, number one, I was in school. Right. Right. And <laughs> that part and showing up matters. Right. Showing up is half the battle, right? right. That's it. That's it. <laughs> so just being, you know, he was checking up on me. He was making sure I was doing my work. He, uh, you know, connected me with a college prep program, career beginnings. I don't know if you remember that. Yes. Um, and then off, off from there, you know, I, I so I, to me, he was kind of that pivotal person in my life. When I needed that guidance of okay, I don't know what I want to do. I don't want to do like you. What what year was that at Harford High? You think ninety three? No, no, no. Was it your sophomore year? Huh? Sophomore, junior? For me, it was like that junior senior year, right? Okay, so, so it was like even though you felt like you were running out of time, it was enough time because Diana shared she had a, a very similar pivotal moment in high school, um, where she. 
Mr. DiLoretto was the one that like put her shout out to all of our teachers and educators out there who are like still amazing and loving what they do. You know, like teachers, educators get a bad rap when really they're with our kids more than we are. So shout out to those those making a difference for real. Those teachers, like my sixth grade teacher, Ms. Daniels and uh, Mr. Latrack. <laughs> we dedicated a whole like 15 minutes to Mr. Latrack. Oh my God. Probably not, not because of the same things you remember about him. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. It was different. Yeah, yeah I'm pretty sure. I, no, I got to no. go back and listen to that episode. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. We were talking about how it was my first time when I was like, oh my God, a white guy is cute. Oh. <laughs> You know, that was the I first knew it. time to me. Why, this is the, actually, like, that's this week's episode where we're yeah. like, it wasn't, I wish I would have understood and known that white men can be very attractive because we didn't have exposure. You know, right. our school was minimally diverse, but we didn't have exposure to that. And then yeah. it was through our teachers that, and then Mr. Latrack was like and, a great and example. To be truthful, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of the white men that I saw were in these, you know, professional roles like police officer or right you know right. A, a person yeah. coming knocking at your door and everybody's looking through the blinds like Mira, es no va a puerta, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> you know what i'm saying so everybody yeah. that it, it wasn't like we had white until i went to camp um uh this camp i forgot the name of it but um it was a ghetto camp through clay hill and, and then we saw some white you know but that was during high school too where i started seeing like a little bit more white people and stuff like that but um yeah. What what would you say is um, the number one thing that you deal with when you are needing or, you know, going through therapy? Like, what is it now versus what it used to be? Like, you live through some shit, right? Because I know, like, I could give you an example of, like, when we used to go to high school, I thought high school was like, I thought it was cool. Like, I didn't think people were like that disrespectful. There were some few bad apples or whatever. But yeah. now I went to Heart for High for something. Oof. Yo, it's crazy. Like, it's, it's crazy. So our, crazy. Some of our some of it's our very good friends are like principals, crazy. and he he's he's such a the one specifically such a quality educator, and he's just so frustrated with the adults. So it's also the other teachers mm-hmm. and the parents, and the you parents. know. Yeah, yeah. And as a result, the kids are like, he's like, he's like, Rocio, it's crazy. You can't. You can't educate anymore. You, you're you're so focused on disciplinary actions and like dealing with social media and like TikTok challenges and like things that is it, 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 it just baffling. The like Diana said, like you know, we obviously dealt when I was growing up too. I'm a little younger than you guys, but it was like Latin Kings and solely those and all that. But it was almost like back then there was such a respect for the school. Like they never. It was never at school. It was like, you at school, you good. Like, all they wanted was for you to go to school. Now, everything happens out here. And then at school, you'd have the fight. You know, there's always that. But now, like Diana's saying, it's like, you got to worry about fentanyl and drugs. It's like, they're not just smoking weed in bathrooms. Their kids are dying in the bathroom. Or Mm -hmm. they're, like, stabbing or bringing guns. Or, like, in Maine last night, you know, uh, prayers to to Maine, that mass shooting at a bowling alley. Like, it's just a different time we're living in. So People don't have, well, a lot of our youth right now doesn't that I've seen, right? Because I, I still have kids in high school. I still have, and I see, and I and I try to involve myself, even though I have no kids in football, 
I try to involve myself to do like, you know, some concession stand duty and then just to stay intertwined in my kid's life. Right. Cause I want to make sure that the people that they're hanging with all that good stuff. So as long as you do some things, you don't have to be a hovering helicopter, helicopter parent, but as long as you do some things, you know, who's who in the situation. Right. right? So I, it's just, it's baffling the, 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 the amount of therapy that's needed. Like, mm. Because it's just like, okay, um, I'm going to talk to your parent. But then, like, you know, my brother works for the truancy office. And he's like, yo, I, I, I go to the houses of these parents. And they're just as bad as the student. The parents like, are the worst. The parents are bad. the worst. You're trying to have a conversation with them to try to maybe build up their child. To try to maybe. So then, you know, I'm thinking about all these variables. And I'm like, well, how can we even fit therapy in there if they can't even fit to get their child into school? Like, they can't even get there. Like, they don't even know that their child didn't get up to go to school. Yeah. Like my brother's at the at the door, like yo, your your child has been out for two weeks in a row, and they're like for real, and they go open the door, and the child's in the room. Like, how do you not know your child didn't get up to go to school? Mm-hmm. Like something as simple as that, right? So, and, and I was saying all that to say that you know, I I went into Hard Five, and all this craziness is happening. So you have more of the security guard engagement instead of you know the child being engaged enrichment, in the classroom, enrichment, right? but then the teachers yeah. are so afraid. So hundred teachers need therapy. Right, because I even spoke to a couple of teachers that left Hartford schools because they're like, I'm sick and tired of them not calling me my my last name. They're just calling me Miss. They're not. They're not even trying. They're just like Miss, 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 Miss. Right? They're threatening my life and my family's life. Right? They're they're pushing me out the way. They're throwing stuff at me. They're you know, and I'm like, it was never like that when we were coming up. So you know what it is. It 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 boils down to. We live in a disconnected world, mm. right? Remember, when we grew up, it was all about our relationships with our friends, hanging out, you know, going, you know, I have cousins that are not even blood related, right? But they my yeah. cousin. Yeah. Right? Because you create those re- relationships and those bonds. And, you know, I have tias and, and, and abuelas that are, again, not blood related, but they, you know, there's this respect, there's this connection, and there's a relationship. What we are dealing with now is this lack of connection, this lack of relationship. So now we have a bunch of you know young people that lack empathy, right? Because they don't have relationship with people. They don't res- they don't have that understanding that you know you respect your elders. There's authority figures, and that you should be able to kind of you know build you know loving, trusting, empathetic relationships. We don't have, we're struggling with that right now because everybody's on their cell phone. Everybody's playing, you know, Xbox and, you know, this social disconnection now doesn't allow for the, that ability to sit down and have a, a, a conversation with a young person because to you, they ain't nothing. You know, they're like, you're not, you're nothing to me because they don't, they haven't built that relationship because uh, maybe they don't want to, or they're struggling with many other things. You know, trauma is a real thing as well. But this lack of social, emotional understanding and health, right? To be able to really develop, okay, the ability to recognize when I am sad, when I am happy, when I need help, you know, to be able to verbalize and communicate that. We have a, you know, a, a lot of young people nowadays that struggle with that. They're struggling with all kinds of stuff, but they don't know how to 
communicate that. They don't know who to go to, or they're just, again, shame and guilt. And, you know, they want to keep everything to themselves. And this, so this lack of social connection um, is, is something that is really, really problematic. And you see it in families as well. You know, families don't even, you know, they don't even sit down and talk with one another or have dinners like we used to. And everybody's in their own room, you know, kind of eating in their own, you know, and then you don't even know what your son or what your daughter is up to because, you know, you haven't taken that opportunity to just build those bonds and relationships. So social, emotional kind of disconnection and relational disconnection and um, young people just probably not understanding the the most important aspect of life, which is relationships with yeah. one another and family. Noel, how do you, so then if, if, if you see that as one of the biggest kind of stumbling blocks right now in society, how do you deal with that in your sessions? Like for instance, even I found that it, it also doesn't have to do with educational level because recently I was at Trinity at an event and, um, these kids are biochemical engineer majors and aerospace engineer majors and um, neuro, you know, just uh, archaeology majors. And yet they, they, my mom was speaking there and they, they didn't know how to introduce her. They didn't know how to stand in front and present her. They, it was, it was so frustrating to me. I literally wanted to get up and be like, can I take over this situation? Because it's like there are 40 kids attended and I say kids they're in college, but this is Trinity. This is like pretty, pretty up there in the educational world. And yet the socialization skills were missing. They were lacking in, in, in my heart for real, for real. I was like, damn, I feel bad for these kids because they don't know how to have a conversation yet alone. Get on a, get, you're not even on the stage. You're literally in front of a group of 40 people and you don't even know that there should be a proper introduction to this woman, this legend yeah. that you invited to come here yeah. to then you sit and have a Q and a where there was never a cue. There was no, there was, it, it was as if, you know, me and Diana sent you questions and then we just sat here and you just went through the question. So my mom was forced to kind of like have her own interview and it, all I could see, which is, which, which you just confirmed for me. I was like, damn, is it? the phones? Is it the lack of mm -hmm. sitting and, and learning how to have a conversation? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so when you're in your sessions and, and when, I mean, obviously I think you deal with marital counseling, as you said, and family therapy, but what, as, as someone in your profession, what is it that you suggest, or you could tell our listeners or us too, who are raising children, Diana's kids are grown, but my daughter's four. It's like, I, I try to go out of my way to have dinner with her, even though she eats earlier than me. You know, I try to go out of my way to have her around our family where we socialize. We don't watch TV. We play games. We do other things, um, or with our friends or going to events. I'm very big on experiential things with her. Um, but it's like, I, I'm very consciously in the space of like, I see it and I saw it and I, I want to, I want to catch it before it becomes something with her. So how, what would you tell our listeners if, if they feel that, or they see this struggle about this, like lack of socialization or the ability to build community? Yeah. Well, the first thing I, I quickly try to pick up upon is, you know, understanding the family dynamics right so if i if i kind of get a sense that everyone is like disconnected from one another like 
I'll be like, hey, we're going to start with making sure that everybody gets together and has dinner together or that you have activities that you do as a family, you know, board games. And one of the things that I know that COVID was a terrible time, but what it really did was kind of highlight the fact that family members didn't even kind of spend time together. So now we're like, right, we're locked down and we got to work and do school and do everything together. And families were like, we don't even know each other, right? Uh, so that kind of shined the light on the importance of, hey, we can't continue doing the things that we're doing because, again, when we don't have healthy, connected families, we don't have a healthy, connected community and society. Mm -hmm. So to be able to start, that's that's the groundwork right there is to be able to, um, you know, allow families to understand they need to build, you know, healthy relationships and bonds with one another. And then we can start to see a bigger kind of macro level difference in, in society and community. But when there's a breakdown in the family structure and uh, there's no you know, family relationships with women that are healthy, right? Um, then, you know, we're going to have some serious issues and problems later on. And then you start to see kids that don't respect teachers, don't respect the police, don't respect principals. They don't respect because they're a lot, you know, sad to say, but there's some kids that don't even respect their families or their parents. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's all Any this kind of, of family conflict. Type of authoritative, you know, person. Yep. Yeah. So what would you say are some tools? Like if, if someone can take away from this conversation in that area, because you said we have to create these healthy relationships, we have to create these bonds again, but what, what would be some tools to do that? You know, it's like, okay, how do I do that? The first thing is, Hey, we're going to have dinner together and everybody has their phones off, oh, right. Or right. they're not even in the vicinity, right. You got a little, little basket. Everybody puts their phones in that basket and we're just going to have dinner, man. I, that's only like 30 minutes out of the day, you know, but that's when you can be able to check in and really understand, Hey, I think my son is depressed or I think my daughter yeah. is struggling with anxiety, right? Because mm -hmm. you don't, you won't see that if they're in their bedrooms and you know, you're watching TV and they're doing their own thing and, mm -hmm. and you don't even know what they're into. Right. And these things are a great tool, right? They, there is a great technology. Oh, we see the dot. Shout out to the dot. We have the dot too. <laughs> so these are great tools, but at the same time, there are pathways to a lot of addictions and a lot of, you know, issues that start to break down the self-esteem of individuals, right? Because you'd be like, oh, look at, look at this person, you know, they're, they're always traveling, they're doing this, uh, but that they broke as hell. They're putting everything on credit cards, that right? Yeah, I was about to say that. I was about to say that um, people now have a disadvantage when it comes to that because everybody, and, and we know people personally, that put this amazing life on Instagram <laughs> and they're doing all these fabulous things and blah, and lights and camera. And then in, in the real life, it's like, what's going on? Like, hello? You know, so they're so disconnected and trying to portray, right, this amazing and, and, and in person with other people, right? But then when they get with you, the people they love, then you get the dunk. It's like, well, whoa, 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 right? Yeah. You should, yeah. I should not be getting that. You should be, I should be part of that. What's going on, right? But then they don't want to face that, right? They don't want to know. They don't want to see. They don't want to hear. <laughs> like that, yeah. that, you know, the... <laughs> 
yeah. I, you know, it's, three monkeys. So, you can't no. you can't believe everything you see on social media because again, you see things on social media, and then in my office, I see you know I'm on social media. There's a they're a great couple. They're in love. They're Woo! this, and then they come into my office, and we haven't had sex in six months. Right. So it's like, ¿Qué pasa? like what's what's going on? Because but again, they're trying to portray something, but not really dealing with some of the core issues of why they're struggling in their relationship, why they're struggling in their marriage, why they're struggling with parenting. Right. Because, again, a lot of it is for show. And it's unfortunate because while they're putting all their energy and their focus on what they portray outside, inside, they're just crumbling and dying. And that's really sad. Well, like Rocio said, some of the tools, right? So when he's telling you to have dinner with families, I want to reiterate because a lot of kids will probably be like, I don't want to have dinner. And then you're probably going to be like, okay. No. Mm. no. Make they ask, sit mm. down mm. and have dinner, have a conversation. And if you want mm. your phone back, then, oh, you want your phone? Shut that shit off. Shut yeah. the shit off. You could go into your little app and shut the line off. <laughs> These yeah. are the drastic things that. So you you talked about um, COVID. So during COVID, and and I and I told Rocio this, um, we had a conversation. My kids were very resilient through COVID because we made sure that we had dinner at least four times out of the week. You can have three times Good. to yourself. Good. Four times out of the week, you pick it. We're gonna have dinner together. One night out of the week, we're gonna have game night. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> and the other night was that monopoly. But I, but I, but I do think, I do think, I, I do think it's important to note, though, that Diana has a different parenting style that is also, I would consider more traditional and old school, very similar to myself. You know, where it's like, I think Noel, you may have seen this that a lot of people struggle now with being friends with their children you know, not to say that one parent is better than the other at all. But one thing I always did was respect my mom. You know what I'm saying? I always, I, I always feared her being disappointed in me. I don't know exactly how she did that, but I always feared and my sister too, the disappointment. So that's why I never wanted to get in trouble or pass the line. You know, obviously I was a teenager too. We lie. We, we, we try to get our way around it. So it's, it's, Funny with my daughter having been in LA for a, um, her earlier childhood, it's a very different, it's a very LA mindset where people are very friendly with their, and these are toddlers, very friendly with their kids. And I used to hear often, you know, this is a very um, affluent crowd of people for lack of a better word. And it's like, I had three parents at different times be like, how do you do it with Sophie? Like, mm -hmm. what is it that you're doing with Sophie? And I, at first yeah, I'd be like, kids grabbed my ass. Like, yes, cuffed it <laughs> at the park for you. And his yeah. mother was traumatized because I'm brown and she white, but keep going. Rocio. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> like, but so it was, at first I was like, I was like, I literally was like, what you mean? I, I, I don't play. I literally said to him, this is a, a white man. I said, I don't play that. And he goes, and that's why I asked you about the tools, because it's things that we take for granted for or granted, things that we yep. innately already know in different situations. And he goes, well, what does you don't play that mean? And I said, Sophie understands that I'm her mother first at this age. She was three at the time. At this age, I have conversations with her where I, she knows I'm, I'm your mother first. Mm -hmm. I'm your friend second. 
you will respect me. And, you know, from small, I've spoken to her like that. And I just feel like that that's been lost because what I saw specifically in LA and, and not to, to segregate because it, I'm here now in a suburb, um, semi by coastal and I see it too. So it's like, it's just a very different way of raising kids to feel like they're your friends or your equal or your peer where that to me leads to the, the thought where I respect how you feel, but that doesn't mean you get to disrespect our space. You get what I'm saying? Like there, there's a, for me, it's like, I tell her, I respect your feelings. I acknowledge your feelings you know, even at this little age, we unpack them semi, but then I kind of snap it into like, we, this is not what we're doing. We're, this is not what we're doing. But what I see is a lot of abuse from kids to parents because they know they could do it. And, and, and it's, it is, it is, it, it, it is, baffling to me so i say that to say diana says it from a parent who's like uh-uh this is what we're doing but we know in our circle two parents who have no control over their kids mm -hmm. and it because to me it's simply like take away the phone yeah. Say this is what we're doing. Right. Say you're getting up at seven in the morning. Like you're not sleeping until three on a Saturday because that's not what we do in this house. And when nope. the kids slammed the door in my house, I took the door off the hinges. Yeah, yeah. I took the so, door off the hinges you... and would walk by and be like, What's up? Naked. Hey, what's going on? Naked. Oh, you need oh, privacy. You want, your back? you want your door back? You gonna slam it again? And this was a while back, but I took that shit right off the hinges yeah, and brought it no. to the basement. You gotta be dressed so. sometimes. <laughs> So program alert, program alert. I don't know if you have that effect on your, you know, your <laughs> program alert, program alert. Well, do it. For those parents that want to be their kid's friend, they don't want you as a friend. There it is. They need you as a parent. The right? doctor, so, the doctor said it. <laughs> <laughs> so kids have their friends. They don't want mom, dad to be their friend. So you can be friendly, like, you know, you were talking about, Rocio. You could be friendly with your kids. But my son knows, right? He's 24. My son knows that I love him, that I'm his, you know, I could be a friend to him. But at the end of the day, I'm dad, right? And that level of respect has always been there. You know, I have, you know my son is awesome. He's, he's a good kid. Um, but he understands there's this, you can't cross that line, right? Mm -hmm. And again, I'm going to talk to you many times as your dad, right? I'm, I mean, we can be friendly, but I'm not your friend. I'm your father, mm -hmm. right? Um, he has his friends and I respect that, right? So when we, when parents get caught up in this, like, oh, no, I want to be my daughter's friend. I want to be her BFF or whatever. No, 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 no. You, you got to understand that kids nowadays, they need security they need structure and they need boundaries because when kids have that they thrive because they feel loved and secure so when that's why we have this disconnect and we have kids disrespecting their parents because now you're like oh you can't slam that door on you know in the house but they were like oh, you just you're, you're 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 my boy you're my friend you're not my dad Right. You know, so then you lose that level of authority that you need, right? And we call this in psychology structural family therapy, where you have, you know, there's a hierarchy in the family. In order to maintain a healthy family, there needs to be a healthy 
hierarchy, right? Where the parents are here, the kids are here. And sometimes what I see is mom is here, dad is here, and the kid is up here, right? Mm. And there's this kind of, you know, unorganized, you know, I don't like using this word, but dysfunctional kind of family process happening because there's this hierarchy that is not healthy. That's not the way families are designed to be. So if you're, if you have parents here and kids here, there's no level of like respect and authority when you have to say, no, you are going to school. No, you can't disrespect the teacher. No, you got to bring up these grades, right? Because like, oh, I thought we were cool. We were going to hang out. Or, no, 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 no. Number one. So again, parents who want to be their friends, kids, they don't want you as their kid. They need you as a parent. Noel, do you think that it's it's ever too late to try to take on a role like that? So what what would you tell someone or a listener who potentially has teenagers already who feels like at this point I'm at a loss? Like at this point, what do I do? Because you know, you know, kids are spoiled or or what has happened a lot from friend parent. Right. Or like what has happened a lot because of our traumas, we overcompensate in raising mm. our children and we give, give, give or buy, 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 you know, sometimes personally struggling financially or, you know, not sharing the fact that, you know what, th for the next three months, we need to buckle down because money ain't what it used to be because I'm trying to give what I never had, whether that's with stuff instead of with my time, I oh, know no. how to give it with stuff. So how, I mean, again, and, and it, not that this is a, a miracle session, but like, how does someone who hasn't dealt with their traumas and their baggage and their issues, or who's in the space of bettering themselves right now as a person kind of step in and in parallel be like, you know what, fuck, I've been doing this parenting shit all wrong. Like, and and now my 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 daughter my son is out of control i don't know if they're struggling here or there it's like covid came and it fucked them up and now they go from being th this great kid to someone who could potentially be dealing with something but i have lost control you know and 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 then i'm also struggling with maybe i'm not the best person either like i have a lot of fucked up issues too but now i'm fucked up i lost control but i i know that i need to reel it back in so there's this um scientific uh, reality uh, when we when we look at brains and uh, the brain study and the neuroscience um, aspect of how the brain works is called neuroplasticity, right? Neuroplasticity says that we can heal our brains from trauma, from addictions, from all kinds of stuff that maybe happened to us or we did to ourselves. Our brains can heal itself, but it takes time. And it's very different depending on the type of injury that happened, the type of trauma that we kind of suffered. So the brain can heal itself and it can reorganize and readapt. Same thing when you think about neuroplasticity, how the brain can re bounce back. Family plasticity is the same thing. Mm. Relational plasticity is also mm. working the same way. We can restore relationships. We can, um, you know, go back and say, man, I messed up as a dad and sit down with your son or your daughter and say, this is how I messed up. Um, can you please forgive me? From now on, I want to be able to parent this way. I want mm -hmm. our relationship to be this way. 
it will take some time, right? Because mm-hmm. your kid is going to look at you like, where you been my whole life, mm-hmm. right? I'm 14. Mm-hmm. So you got to be patient. You can't expect for your kid just to turn it around like that. Mm-hmm. And that's sometimes that what we deal with, like in family counseling, like, you got to be patient for this, you know, first, you know, I'm working with a dad right now that he's been absent from his daughter's life and she's going to be 13. And now he's trying to make that connection. And, you know, his daughter lives in another state. And he's trying to make that connection. Her her daughter already has a psychological father, her stepfather, who raised her and did a good job. Now, you know, he has to understand that as a father, his role is going to be different, right? But he needs to be patient. He can't be like, yo soy tu papá, tú me tienes que respetar. Like, no, nah, I don't mm. work that way, you know? Mm-hmm. You have to build, you have to restore those relationships. So it can be done, right? It's never like, you know, it's too late. I really, truly believe, and I've seen, I've seen it from couples that struggle with infidelity for 14, 16 years, now get to a point that they're happily married and, you know, they're, they've kind of worked on all those things and they're moving forward. So, and I've seen parents do the same thing with their kids. So Mm -hmm. there's a power behind when we really admit to, Hey, I need to work on this. And when we genuinely commit to it, because it can't be superficial, it can't be inconsistent, it has to be a genuine commitment, then, and, and the commitment has to be on both sides, right? Because right. relationships work, work work two ways. So you have to be able to make that commitment. The other person makes that commitment. As a parent, you make that commitment. Your child makes that commitment. And then you dedicate and you work hard and it's not easy, but the... But at the end result is so worth it. And you know, I'm that way you. when you're like 80, 85 years old, before you go to the Leon funeral home, <laughs> you, can, you can kind of reflect and say, you know what? My life wasn't perfect. No, thank you. My life wasn't perfect. But at least I'm happy with the life that I live. That's right. And that's a good, that's what we call the good death. That's and right. you can uh, reflect back. And think about you lived a good life. It wasn't perfect because no one, no one is perfect. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to know perfect people. Um, I'm glad that in 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 everything that you said, you said work, work, Woo! right? Because healing takes work. You Relationships it. take work, right? I listen. I like to toot my own horn to to. Right, because people are always like, oh "I'll tune it for you too." Two, 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 two. They're like, "You have four kids, and all of them are so good. Everybody has their own um, personality. Everybody, yep. you know, every." And I was like, "That's work. work. That took work, right?" And we got like my oldest son. He 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 was an amazing baseball player, and he played for many years in Hartford. And I believe that. Because of Hartford, Connecticut, he that's the competitiveness of all the kids that played in Hartford. That's how he yeah. got to that level. And a lot of the kids in Hartford did not have their parents at the game. Right? right. So I sort of kind of step in and be the mom, you know, for the, the, the team mom for the for and a lot of those kids now as adults in their 30s tell me, Diana, thank you so much for being there for my game. I can't believe you went to every single game for Aaron. And I was like, oh shit. Why? That's my son. I have to support. So support is big. Support, work, everything has to be intentional, right? I was, I'm not going to get emotional. But Don't I was, I'm not, I'm do, it. Really do it. Do it. Really do it. Do it. 
I was on, we were all somewhere. It was a group of friends. We were all somewhere. And um, one of my friend's sons wanted to leave. She's younger than me. And um, she's like, oh, wait a effing minute. Wait a fucking minute. You're not going to fucking tell me what to do, whatever, which had him come back at her. Like, we've been out all day. I'm like, (laughs) right? So he's upset. He's like 12 years old. He goes inside. He's upset. He's crying. I see him through the window. She's out there smoking, drinking, whatever. That's fine, right? I put it to the side like, um, you know you just embarrassed the crap out of your son in front of his friends and your friends. And she's like, I whatever, whatever. I was like, I whatever. She's smoking. She's drinking. I go inside. I said, get by the me. Why you want to leave? You want me to bring you home? He, he starts talking to me that he got something important for the next day. He wants to go to sleep. He's tired. He's been out all day, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, just brought it down. I wish my mom talked to me like this. What's the mm-hmm. last thing he said? Mm-hmm. I said, wow. Hold on. Brought her ass inside. Sat her ass down. And I said, what did you just tell me? I wish that you, that I don't. And broke down. And I said, bruh, you yeah. can't talk to your son like that in front of people because that just shows other people that they could talk to him like that. Mm-hmm. You should not be opening the door, window, or anything like that to your relationship like that in front of anybody. If your son wants to talk to you about something, he's telling you come inside for like the 15th time and you don't go inside, right? So now y'all both upset. Y'all go in front of It's frustrating, right? And now this kid is dealing with so much trauma, so much crap. And, and, and I keep telling both of them, I'm like, you guys are having so much, so many issues of infidelity, so many issues. Everybody know your business. Y'all going on Facebook and telling everybody y'all stuff, right? And and I posted something the other day. Don't be mad at me because I'm on the third season of y'all bullshit. Y'all posting it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm invested now. What's, what's popping off, right? Don't be mad. Like, but you're going, this is all public, right? So you're not only traumatizing yourself and your relationship, you're traumatizing your family dynamic. Like, do you not see it? Your child is doing craziness. Whether it's bringing drugs to school, bringing a gun to school, whatever it is, I, I've seen it all in all types of different families. And they're like, well, how do you do it? Well, it's it's work. It's work. My kids have never, ever, and I, they can tell you, if they've heard me and my husband argue, they will tell you they have not. Because we will seize it, we will stop it, we will go outside, we will go in the garage, we will go in the car, whatever we got to do, we will bring the anger somewhere else. Like it's because it's <laughs> we don't want that energy to be in the house. We don't want that energy to be like we will literally sit there and stew and be like, you know what, we're going to talk about this later, right? Because we don't want to yeah. transform or bring that energy to our kids. But to see people blowing up like that, like is there tools that people can use, right, when it comes to parenting like i i know you said about uh, uh not being friends right but is there something because i know the work it takes work the support making sure that you're intertwined somehow in your kids lives like you can't just be like i'm gonna drop you off whatever whatever like go to the pto meeting like go to the student parent meeting go to the you know go to all these things go to their events you're gonna find out like what's going on with them real quick <laughs> you know what i'm saying you have to be involved is there something else that um, like Rocio was saying, when someone's already like that lost feeling, right? You 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 said a couple things, but is there? Do you think that they should be seeking therapy by themselves? Do you think they should come in together as a family? Do you think they should be doing both? I think they should be doing both, you know, because there are things that I remember. I've been in therapy three times myself, right? I'm not, a, you know, it's a, it, and each time it was for specific reasons, and each 
time, I found so much benefit from it. Um, but it was three times that I had to do counseling by myself because it was stuff that I had to deal with about mm-hmm. me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I applaud comes, you for knowing that you needed to get yeah. therapy for yourself. I needed it. You know, Puerto Rican man. Yeah, because imagine if I'm not a healthy man, you know, I've been married 26 years. Thank goodness it was because I did a lot of work on myself. Because if not, I don't know if my wife would have been able to put up with me for 26 years. Right? <laughs> so um, if you want to be successful in being a healthy man, woman, whatever, um, and you have to be able to do that work, right? And then if there are relationships with your kids, with your spouse, with your partner, whatever it may be that needs work, then you kind of consider that type of approach and that uh, investment and really, 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 you know, commit to it. And um, I'm telling you, 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 I've never, never seen anyone that started a counseling process that at the end wasn't proud of the their result or proud of their family or of their couple's result. Because again, you're going to, and, and I always say, look, you can come, you know, I tell the, the people that I work with, you can come here and just beat around the bush all day. And, you know, it's only going to not going to get you where you want to go. Or you can come in here, be honest, be genuine, dig deep, do some work, and then you're going to really be happy with the results. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're not, you know, you know, I'm not coming, you're not coming here to impress me or anything. I'm here because I want to help you. I want to, you know, kind of set a, a process for you so that you can find that personal healing. So you can find family healing. So you can find, you know, marriage or couples healing, whatever it may be. But it has to be, you have to be genuine. You have to be true to yourself, true to the process. You can't, you know, hide anything because, again, yeah. secrets are toxic. Yes. Um, and, you know, I've seen it in many, many fans in my family. I've seen when secrets are kind of, you know, held and covered by the individual. By, I've seen secrets being covered by a whole entire family. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want to talk about El Tio mm-hmm. Ese that used to do all this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then when that Tio dies, then everything comes out. Right. But there wasn't an opportunity to really deal with that um, issue until, you know, probably, you know, afterwards. But again, secrets is something that is very powerful, but they're toxic in their nature. And they don't allow for genuine healing and growth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, it's funny because for me personally, my dad has paranoid schizophrenia. And um, I remember for years growing up, it was like, it was not, and it's funny because my mom is such an accomplished person and like a public figure and all this stuff, but it wasn't until my early twenties where I took a time off of work to really dedicate time to figuring out like a diagnosis of my dad. It was always like a loco or se habla solo or, you know, I think for me was when I had like an aha moment of like, um, I remember I used to hold my dad's hands, but more to protect him and not to protect me. You know, I was like six years old and I got like this flashback and I remember he would take me to the arcade and I found in that moment that I was holding his hand so that he won't like say like motherfucker or like say random things to people because of the schizophrenia, because at that age, I didn't, we knew my dad was different. Like we would catch him like yelling at himself in the basement. My parents got divorced when I was younger, but in another toxic way, he was always around. He was a roommate for a little while, or he was in his car in our yard for a little while. He was never far because my mom 
still feels the need to be a caretaker regardless of the situation, you know, but I, I say all that to say when we tried to do therapy together as a family and thank God we had a good therapist. The first thing they said is to do family therapy with someone who is struggling with a mental illness while they are not doing their own therapy is essentially a waste of time because you're trying to have it. it, You basically be, this person is going to start feeling like a target because everything is coming or stemming, or you think is stemming from their illness when they still have it come to the reality that they're struggling with something, Mm -hmm. you know? So, um, I, I love that you said people have to come on their own and then you have to come as a unit because I strongly feel like if you're not working on yourself or working on being the best version of yourself, Mm -hmm. what you bring to a group or your family is unauthentic and, and isn't the, the most quality of, of healing or truth that you could be providing if you really do want to have like an an aha moment or an awakening or a new beginning or or restart of sorts. But I do, before we wrap, I I know the holidays are coming and when this airs, Mm. it's going to be the week before Thanksgiving. Um, And I know I have personally struggled, not necessarily with seasonal depression, but with these pressures behind holidays and, and these, these, euphoric feelings that you're expecting and then the letdown after you don't have that feeling for me i've always lived in another state far from my family this is the first year that i'll be close in a long time probably 27 years um so i i've struggled with like this is my family with my husband and my daughter but missing my family and then i've struggled with coming and participating in it being like no crescendo to the moment or like I feel like the holidays I think for some people are amazing I'm appreciative for being here another day but I do think that we're we're never honest with a lot of the weight that comes around the gift giving or the having to be present or the pressure to show up at a, a toxic family gathering because that's what we do as a family we get together when there's there's the toxic tia or la tia toxica or like the the thing that nobody talks about. So if you could, you know, speak wide, speak more narrow as to the stresses and the pressures behind the holidays and resources or things people can kind of navigate to, or if you are feeling weight rather than love this season, um, what 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 are some whether tools or words of encouragement or or enlightening things you could share with our listeners to not just get you through the holidays but get you to have moments and glimmers if not a whole loving holiday season yeah so i think you touched a, a bunch of points there already but number 1 yeah the holidays and the fact that there are all these kind of expectations, social expectations that are placed on us. And again, I think social kind of connection is important. But if for some reason, right, and, I, and I've, I've worked with families that they felt a pressure to visit a family during the holiday when that there's someone that's going to be there. That caused the trauma. Somehow traumatized them. Mm-hmm. Why, you know, why put yourself through that, right? You have to protect yourself. You have to protect your emotional and psychological health. So if you know someone that's going to be at an event, at a gathering um, that has hurt you and 
you should protect yourself from them. You don't have to feel the pressure of, you know, showing up just because your mom or your dad or your, your grandparents are expecting you to, you know, you have to be able to guard and protect yourself because you're going to show up in a hurt way. And a lot of times we can get re-triggered, re-traumatized and, and that, and then, you know, for a three hour dinner and then you got to deal with that for three, three weeks or three months afterwards. I know, but so it's so it crazy, it? Noel, because it's like culturally, when you just mentioned your mom, your dad, your families, your grandparents are expecting you. It's like culturally, we're not taught boundaries and culturally, we're not taught to say no or be like, mm -hmm. I'm not going, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think it's, it's, I love that you're like, you have a right to not attend. You have a right yeah, to yeah. come up with your own new tradition. If this is something that's going to reopen a wound essentially. Or maybe that could also or, be an opportunity to be like, I'm not going because this is the person that did A, right, B, and C. To right, me. right. Yep. Oh, shit. Exactly. Oh, wow. This is what mm -hmm. happened. Yes. So this is not, this is why I'm not going. This you is talk why about I'm not that. Going. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, my wife laughs at me because, you know, I have those family members as well. <laughs> and sometimes, <laughs> um, you know, I'll park in a way like, you know, you you go to a family's house and, and everybody's get in, in and out quick. In and out quick. <laughs> I park strategically so if something pop off, I'm the first one out of there, right? Like, chiando goma, and I'm out of there. I don't want no part of it. <laughs> I'm done, right? Like, I like you have that funny feeling, like you know, like this aunt yeah, don't get along with this yeah. other aunt, or you have this cousin that's beefing with this other cousin, like. Mm. You know, you eating that turkey, but with a side eye, right? Like making sure that <laughs> we have a cousin that steals. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, cousin, cousin, sticky fingers. <laughs> I your meal. Yeah. So again, you have permission to be able to give yourself the ability to say, I'm not comfortable with attending and I'm not going. Right? And then, but um, how do you then deal with the FOMO felt? Because now it's almost it's almost like a sense of re-traumatization because it's like this person did this to me, but it's so fucked up that they get to participate. And now I have to create my own space on a holiday that is about family. You get what I'm saying? It's like so many layers to something. So it's almost like it's it's that feeling of continuing to have to be the person who's always doing the work. Like, why the fuck do I have to always be the one doing the work? Yeah, it's almost like the victim being re-victimized re mm -hmm. all the time while the perpetrator gets away with the crime, right? right. Like, no, so I, to be able to say, hey, this person did this to me, and I know sometimes in our familias, right, like, oh, you know, we have oh, people we that ha don't believe our stories. People are like this, the, the thing that the horses have. Like yeah. Blinders, blinders. Yeah. So it'd be like, no, until the family realized that this person did this or this person did X or Y or Z, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to be around and that's wow. going to be, you know, I have to protect myself. I have to protect my kids. Um, and y'all really messed up if y'all think that y'all can keep living like this and kind of hiding this family secret or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's that, right. Give yourself permission to go or not go to certain events, depending on, you know, who's going to be there or how mm -hmm. you feel. Um, uh, but at the same time, you know, you know, depression, you know, is real. It is real, right? Um, and the way I like to think about um, is when we are stuck in the past with things that happened to us in the past and we're living there still, 
That is what we call depression. And then when we worry about things in the future that may or may not happen, and we're constantly, you know, kind of really kind of being hyper-focused about things that could have, you know, could have, would have, should have, couldn't happen, um, that's anxiety. So to be able to find the balance of, hey. Noel, you are fucking tapping into so many, like, (laughs) if I had, if I had a little buzzer right here, like, brah. (laughs) <laughs> because it, it's crazy because it's it's so nuts because even i deal with a lot of like you, you know big clients or whatever that people find at, at times find to be not human people but it, it's the same worry and anxieties that millionaires that famous people that regular and i don't i hate that word regular that that we deal with, that people deal with, that people try to like compartmentalize and be like, oh my God, if I was rich, I wouldn't feel this way. Yeah. You know, if if I was famous, I wouldn't feel this way. If if I just had a little more, if if this, if that, if this. But when when you when you talk about thinking about the past is depression and thinking about the future is anxiety, worrying about the future is anxiety. It's like I feel like 99.9% of this world is plagued by those two things in parallel yeah. at some point throughout the day. That's and then we're not living about. in the moment, right? right? We're not living in the moment and we're missing out on life because life is a beautiful thing. Like mm. I want to be in the moment. I want to enjoy today with my wife, my son. I want to be able to enjoy today with my family, my friends. You know, I want to be able to enjoy today. Yeah, we plan for the future. That's good. We should always have a plan for the future. But I can't be living in 2026 right. when it's still like, you know, 2023. I will go crazy. Ooh, I might not even be here tomorrow. You know that right? part. I'm glad that I could be running that. with A6 Go in downtown Hartford and get hit by a truck I in front of the. No, don't say that. Man, Hartford, man, we got some crazy drivers in Hartford. I'm glad you said about living in the moment because I did want it to go back to. Uh, the, the the parenting aspect. I'm saying, if you do have m- more than one child, you know, Rocio, she's lucky to have one, and you know, I know a lot of people that do have the one, and they and they can focus and and do that, right? But if you have multiple children, it's okay to do family things, right? But you have to make sure that you do things separately with them too. Yeah, make sure that you do things separately. I think that was one of the biggest. You mean you mean me. you mean individually, individually with each child with them, right? Whatever they want. So do. important. Because just because you know, my my oldest was an amazing at baseball, right? So together as a family, a lot of our family trips, you know, because we're not rich people, a lot of our family trips were to his baseball tournaments, which were in Virginia Beach or uh, Florida or wherever you know it was. And a lot of the times, the kids were like, "Well, you know." I know we're going to the baseball tournament, but can we also go to Disney World? And and that was what it was, right? And yeah, we could go to Disney World, we could do this, right? But when we were out of those spaces and, you know, my kids, by the time they were like 12, 13, they're like, I'm not going to another baseball tournament. That's it. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not doing it. So I, I had to make sure to deliberately, right? What is it that you want to do? What is it that yes. you want for your birthday? What is it that you, you know, because everybody has their own personality because we were able as parents to give them the space to have that personality, right? I think I lost my calling to being a therapist. I should have been a therapist. Ah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> right? So I, I just wanted to say that. It's never too sure. late, boo. Right. 
to make sure that if you have more than one child, right? And 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 I know it's amazing that you had two children and they're grown and and you know maybe they're 12 and 15 years old and then you had like this one that's like 3 or 4 years old, right? And she's brand new and you're focusing on it, but these are your kids too. Like make sure that however old they get that you're doing stuff with them. Like I'm always calling my son like, "Where y'all hanging out?" Like they're going to Maddie D's on Friday for like a costume party. Um tomorrow. So I was like, I may roll through. And you know, I know, his, I know his friends, so you know, I may roll through. How y'all doing? Ba -da -da, da -da -da, Ten o'clock. That's that's the time I'm probably gonna roll out. Da -da -da, <laughs> da -da -da, go to sleep. No, but just to make sure that you're, you're you're focusing on each child and their thing, what they want to do, not what you want them to do. Not go to the grocery store with me. That's not something they want to do. Uh, go to the, ask them what is it that you want to do. Like I I still have to bring my son to Comic Con. My my 18 year old. We have to go to uh -huh. Comic Con. And I went, it was too late this year. So we're thinking about going to Comic-Con because it sells out so quickly. But, you know, stuff like that. Just make sure that you're focusing on each child, no matter how old they are, and, and, and ask them what it is that they want to do. And then that's bonding. Like, I've gone to the beach with one of my sons, just him and I. You know, yeah. we bring our bikes, whatever. Just that bonding one-on-one -on -one time. You will be so glad you did it because so many things come out of it. So many conversations. It's so It's just an amazing experience. So make sure... You have more than one child that you do that with them That's but you know what i want to add on to that too because i see this in our latino families right you blended families right so or you met someone and they have kids with somebody else and now all of a sudden you don't let them or you get annoyed or you get mm -hmm. angry or you punish them when they want to spend time with their other kids mm -hmm. like don't do that. Like, you know, mm. those kids need their, their, they need their mom as well. And for when I see, you know, those kind of dynamics at somebody and he has, you know, a daughter or son with and from another relationship and now that becomes problematic and you don't want them because you know you, maybe you have your own stuff your own insecurities like what do you what are you doing over there why are you talking mm. to you know that that baby mama still like no 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 you know you know again you, you gotta allow for those parent child relationships to also continue to be mm. built you know so just because you are now in a relationship and maybe you have your own kids in this relationship but if you have kids from another relationship you shouldn't abandon them as well you know what that shows me and, I, and i've actually because you know me i have t i have told people like if you don't have any feelings for that person why are you stopping them from seeing your son that's just another person that can watch your child you know what I mean? <laughs> that's another person that's another resource for your child okay so mm -hmm. you're in a new relationship so now there's four people that can help like i don't understand and kids need, kids need, and they need different, yes, they need different type of relationships. They, they need to know um, so the stepmom. That's something for us to kind of think about as well. That's no, well, before before we wrap though, you you I would love if you can. You said um, you mentioned the past being depression and worrying about the future being anxiety and people really needing to take a note of trying to be in the moment. Um, what are some tools? I hate that I've been using the word tools, but no, I just cool. think it's important because I feel like what I hear all the time, you know, Diane and I, super normal people have fucking fucked up days, have great days, have successes, failures, have had deals in the hands, never closed. You know what I'm saying? But I, I take pride in being able to come back to being like, you know what? 
today matters. I'm going to find joy in today, but that is intentional work. It's a lot of intentional work. It's a lot of, uh, bouncing off with friends like Diana or my, my other girlfriends. Um, but what is it that maybe you use or what is um, something that you tap into where you're like, you know what, Noel, it was a bad, is a bad moment. It was going to be a good day. So something that we as a community need to understand how powerful it is to kind of help us manage what, whatever kind of day we've had or whatever kind of week we had is to be able to be grounded. Now, what, what do I say by that? We have five senses, right? And those five senses are the way that we experience life. So our hearing, what we, you know, vision, taste, you know, touch and smell, all those five senses are important to keep us grounded. Um, so to be able to find a space, like, right? And for some people, it's meditation. I, I think meditation is so powerful. When you meditate, right, you're not zoning out. You're not doing none of that. A lot of people have this misconception of meditation. But meditation is just to be able to help ground yourself. And for you to sit somewhere still and just breathe or just sit somewhere still and just focus on something. Like if you're sitting outside, like my back deck and I'm looking out and I'm just still watching, you know, the, you know, nature happen and just kind of enjoying that um, to be able to smell and just be able to breathe air that's clean and, you know, being able to move our body in a way, have something that you can touch, um, you know, have some kind of fidget uh, thing in your hand or just be able to enjoy a nice meal, right? And just focus on that meal. Um, and just, again, being grounded and allowing your five senses to just find balance, what we yeah. call homeostasis, right? To be able to find this homeostatic way that in this world that we can live in, that sometimes there's a roller coaster up and down, up and down. And, you know, you know, we have to be able to find balance. We have to be able to really sit, be still, um, be able to meditate, just kind of shut things down for a little bit. Um, quiet our mind, quiet our emotions, quiet our spirit, and just be able to, you know, find that ability to slow things down. Because just like what, what if you was to leave a light on and you turn on that light switch and you leave it on and you never turn it off and it's constantly on, 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 what happens to that light bulb? Eventually it just blows, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to be able to think about your body and your mind in the same way. You have to find opportunities to shut things down for a little bit, give your mind, give your body rest, um, recharge. Mm -hmm. I think uh, another important thing is that we don't have healthy sleep hygiene. We're not sleeping well. Um, a lot of people have interrupted sleep or, or sleep less than six hours, which is really, really bad for not only your brain health, but your physical health as well. So being able to find the importance of shutting things down for a little bit, recharging, and then attacking the rest of life with all the energy that you have. Uh, but you can't be on on all the time because mm -hmm. you're going to burn out. That's so funny that you said the five senses because every time um, 
I've had any encounter with somebody that's just having or crashing or like, I don't know what my face tells me, tell me a problem. A lot of people <laughs> tend to tell me, even strangers, right? So those are the things that I do say. And I know Rocio could, could, could be a witness to, I, I've said to people, you got to, you're able to see, you're able to touch, you're able to walk, you're able to breathe. These are things that we take for granted, right? Because we're doing it every day. Like we get up, we get, but there's people like I, I, I was having just one sidebar real quick before we go, but I was having like the worst day in my life. I thought I was in my twenties. I was having the worst day in my life. Right. And I, I'm on a shuttle by the way, where I, I parked my car, I got in a shuttle to go to work. And while I'm on the shuttle, I'm having all these thoughts. And I know God said, look to the right. I look to the right. This person was in a wheelchair blowing the wheelchair with family dollar bags on their wheelchair. Perspective. So I'm looking at that person. I'm like. Perspective. Yeah. Like it's 730 in the morning. What? Like your day is not even started. Like relax. Take a chill pill. This lady which probably came from, I don't know where, and she's blowing. So somebody had to help her to get these bags because obviously she can't move her arms, right? So in my mind, and I go and I go back to that. Every single time I'm having some crazy, I'm like, remember the lady in the wheelchair. Like, just remember her because she got up and she was up in her wheelchair blowing it with her bags and you bitching about whatever happened. I don't even mm -hmm. remember what mm -hmm. it was, right? So I just wanted to say that you are not only a doctor, you know, a, ther a therapist, a public speaker, you know, an athlete as well as an author. So we wanted you to uh, have the opportunity to share your book, um, let people know where they can get it um, and all that good information. Yeah, well, uh, again, thank you for having me on. It was an awesome conversation. Um, the first book that I wrote is called The Fatherhood Crisis. Um, and this book is about move it, uh, move, move it. This way. Yeah, into the camera, into the camera. <laughs> <There you go>. <laughs> <laughs> so this book is now? about um, you know the importance of growing up with a father, and when you don't grow up with a father, a biological father, and don't have that father-child attachment or bonding experience, what are some of the negative consequences and impacts that that has? So that's the first book that I wrote. Uh, and where can people where can people get that? The, you can find it on Amazon. Oh, right no, now, okay. I'm working on my author um, website. So, okay, yeah, no, my author website, Doctor Noel Cassiano. You can go there right now, but the store aspect of it is being redone because oh, I'm the e-commerce, e the e-commerce. Yeah, I, I'm I'm launching my fourth book, but this is my second book. It's called Just a Kid from Park Street. Right. Okay. This is where this is where I talk about some of my um, early childhood experiences with trauma and try to explain to, in, you know, to the readers how trauma works, how, how it works in our, our brain and our bodies, what dissociation is. Some people might be like, hey, hey, so dissociation doesn't mean you're crazy. It just means that you are psychologically paralyzed or constrained in a specific moment because of trauma. So you probably do things or say things or behave in a way that normally you wouldn't if you were in a healthy state, right? So I go into a lot of different kind of aspects of trauma in there. And then this one is, is a book called Momentum. This is more of a, like a devotional type of book. It's more to, uh, for those audiences that like to, 
you know, read about the importance of spirituality and and having a connection to God and all that. So that's this book is called Momentum. All three are available on Amazon um, right now. And I have a new book that um, my publisher is uh, getting ready to do the pre-launch in, in, in a little bit. It's called Stress Less, Live More. That book is all about how do we manage stress? And I put a there's 10 tips in there that I that I kind of highlight on how to manage stress and how to live a healthier, more balanced life. Um, Noel, thank you so much. Diana's saying thank you. I'm saying thank you. We're so grateful for your time. We're so grateful for your intellectual property that you shared with us. Right. We're so grateful that you exist. Oh here God, in our so community, much. in our in our home base, um, we're gonna make sure to tag you on this episode. It's probably not gonna be the last time we have you on. Awesome. We cositas, you know, we like to have a good time. We like to have fun. We like to talk about so many other subjects. But um, Diana and I do not put uh, take take for granted our personal intellectual property and our real desire from this podcast is to pour into others and really provide resources and let other women, men, white, black, yellow, whatever you are, know you are not alone in this thing called life. This shit is hard, but life can be a very beautiful thing. It is. It yes, is it a beautiful be. thing. And when you have your own kind of personal wellness. Um, you can enjoy life at a different level and a different yes. perspective. So find that wellness for yourself. Find that wellness for your family and for your community. You're going to, I'm telling you, no one ever, ever, ever is disappointed with the results. Gracias for listening to Cositas Mommy Never Told Me. We hope you loved this episode. Make sure you subscribe, follow, and share Cositas Mommy Never Told Me on all your social channels. Todas las redes sociales. And don't forget, if you want in on the real tea and see all of our reactions to the craziness, watch this episode on YouTube. Que bochinche!